to Matthew 25 as we continue in that parable. Parable of the Ten Virgins. Matthew 25, we read the whole parable because it's a short one. And then our verses tonight is 6 through 9. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I know you not, Miss Bowerheads. Father, a serious portion of thy word, and yet delightfully illustrated. We want to thank you for teaching us, and we ask thy spirit to make some of these things real to our hearts. There's many things we'll never understand. Some things we'll get wrong, but we delight to be able to tell folks about our Lord Jesus Christ, the coming bridegroom, no matter how many details we do get wrong. We ask thee to teach us and bless each heart here and those that will hear by tape. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, verses 6 through 9. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, and go ye out to meet him. There was a cry. Why midnight? It's a time of great darkness. Spiritual blindness, false teachers, elimination of the King James Bible, all those things taking place in our day and age. We are living in the day when this cry is going to be made. All of us should be living. If something tragic doesn't happen to take us out, and tragic, I mean, not to the point that we don't want to go, Tragic because it would hurt others in the family. Death is a sorrowful thing because flesh and blood has this thing about cleaving to one another. But Paul said it's better to depart and be with Christ. He had a choice. He said, I, I'm, I'm, I've got a great problem. I'm at a crossroads. It's either to depart and be with Christ. He didn't say die. He just said depart. A very gentle expression. Rather be with Christ or I'll stay here and preach to you. Uh, these things that are going to happen in his last times, let's look at a few of these scriptures. Second Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. Second Peter 2, 1 through 3. But there were false prophets also among the people even as there shall be false teachers among you. You see, they don't call them prophets anymore. They go from prophets in times of old now to teachers. 
There shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Uh, I, I have just a little note down there about those that bring in damnable heresies, all, all the cults. It's, it's, a, it's a fact that every religious organization that has started in the United States is a cult. There isn't one true religious organization that has started here that's any good. Why did they have to change the religious worship that came to us from Europe, from England? Not just England. I know we've got places in Belgium and Holland. But anything that I, I've, I just have never seen anything coming from the United States. You name them, Seventh-day Adventists, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons. Of course, we have to drag the Catholics through all ages. They keep their heresies going no matter when or where. Second Timothy 3. This was Second Peter. Now look at Second Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. This know also that in his last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And this next verse tells you that they are religious people, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Interesting, isn't it? Now, I said also that there was the elimination of the King James Bible in the last days. They're, they're coming out with more versions all the time and slowly but surely trying to kick and push the King James Bible aside. Look at John 17, 14. John 17, 14 says, I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them. Now, the King James Bible is, as far as English-speaking people are concerned, is the original. You don't have to know Greek. You don't have to know Hebrew. You just read the words in, in the King James Bible, in our God's Word in the Bible, and it has brought revivals throughout the world, in the United States, in England. All of God's people have been blessed. It's the language of prayer. And this is what they want to change. They don't care for these things in this word. So it's, it's a, sometimes it's difficult to even buy one. If you go to our little bookstore, it's called Good News Bookstore, down here in Homa. You've got a little tiny area for King James and a whole lot for every other kind of thing there is. And I personally don't like any other version, Period. 2 Thessalonians 2.3 Something else happens in these last days. Why midnight? Well, our answer is we're in last days. 2 Thessalonians 2.3 tells us about a, a falling away got to happen first. 
Second Thessalonians 2, 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. What day? The day when the Lord comes back, I guess. Except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. The falling away. Well, doesn't it seem like our country is more or less in a in a revival with the charismatic springing up and people wanting to, everybody to be one and... Uh, well, that's what this falling, that's the form that the falling away is taking by the rise of charismatics and the cults and uh, toleration for everybody's religion. I want to tell you something. There's no toleration of anybody else's religion. There's no comparative religions and say everybody's got good points and they one's as good as the other. Are you kidding? There's no other religion in the world that can even be compared with Christianity. The Lord Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the light. And that's it. There's no other way to come to the Father but by him. Most dogmatic statement ever made. You come by Christ or you don't come at all. I remember a Buddhist priest over there in Okinawa. I'm sitting with him having a dinner just before I got shipped back home. And he said, are we all going the same direction? He says, you are going up one side of the mountain and we are going up the other side of the mountain. But when we get to the top, we are all one and the same. Well, at that time, I had no answer. I figured, well, he might be a better mountain climber than I am. I don't know. But I didn't know anything. I didn't know the first thing about God saving a sinner. I didn't know very much about the scriptures. The Lord never impressed upon me that the Lord Jesus Christ was the only way, truth, and the life. And if anybody had to get to the top of the mountain, it'd have to be through Christ. Well, we learn those things. The Lord is patient. He's very, very tolerant with his people, protects them through life, and draws them to himself with an everlasting love. Now, it can't be midnight or 12 o'clock all over the world like this parable is. You see, he says, at midnight there was a cry. Well, midnight in Israel is a lot different than midnight over here in the United States. It's a different time of the day. So, therefore, it would make more sense to say that it's a period of darkness like we have in these last times. There's very little glimmers of light around this world coming up from true believers. But the world can be in spiritual midnight. Midnight is generally when all are asleep and very secure. Even God's people are slumbering. That's what the parable told us. They all slumbered and slept, the wise and the foolish together. At midnight, everything is still, and there's no noise in the street. <laughs> I know you're saying, no, not on our street. But it should be quiet so that people can rest in safety. That's the way it should be. Because of these last times, because of these perilous times, because of this midnight hour, it's not like that. Can't walk out on the street at midnight anymore. Even in New Orleans, when I was courting my wife, Miss Connie, and it wasn't too many years ago, what, two or three hundred years ago, something like that? Anyhow... I could ride my bicycle all across the West Bank, down by the ferry, whatever, to see Miss Connie. 
And then when I had a 10 o'clock deadline, and I was 28 years old and she was 23, a 10 o'clock deadline, boom, jump on my bike and ride back about five miles right through the whole West Bank. You would hazard your life to try it today at noontime. There's just that much terror on the streets all over. In that sleepy state, the cry may have a frightening effect. It did in the parable, just like the sleepy virgins awoke with a start. By calling it a midnight cry, our Lord may be warning us not to go asleep in the world's darkness. We are to be lights. Look at Matthew 5.14. Matthew 5.14. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. And neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's a little bit different than the last times where they all slumbered and slept. Well, the cry comes, Go ye out to meet him. The design of God in causing this cry is to call professors to prepare to meet the bridegroom. It says, Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. From the parable there appears, or it says that there is a warning cry. Whatever it is, the virgins or professors are given time to wake up and to meet the bridegroom. Now, both in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul said or mentioned the trump of God. Let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. It says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Now he mentions the last trump and he mentions the trumpet shall sound. Now look at 1 Thessalonians 4.16. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 Here it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, Paul said or mentioned the trump of God in both of these. Now, no one seemed to have a problem with that back when he wrote this. For no one asked Paul to explain, what do you mean the trump of God? He wrote both of these churches again and didn't mention it in either one. We have 2 Corinthians and we have 2 Thessalonians, but not a mention of the trumpet. Paul, what do you mean the trumpet shall sound? How can a horn be heard around the world? Or is it in heaven? and calls the souls of the redeemed along with the elect angels to make flight earthward. 
In 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, with the voice of the archangel, who happens to be Michael, who is associated with raising dead bodies. You know that? Look at Jude 9. Jude 9, we have Jude just before Revelation. A mention of the archangel. It says, Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. From this, all we can assume is that God sent Michael down to bring home the body of Moses. And Satan claims the dead. So he had a little battle there with Michael. Michael had to call in reserves, call in the Lord. The Lord's got to do this job. And that's how Moses got to heaven. That's why Moses has a resurrected body now. He appeared to the Lord Jesus Christ with Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses appeared in a body along with Elijah. It's not a fairy tale. Like Peter says, uh, we're not making up cleverly designed fables. We were there, eyewitnesses, saw this. But you know, of all that, <laughs> as amazing as that would have been to see Moses and see Elijah, Peter's not taken up with that. It was that voice. The voice that spoke out of that cloud, the Shekinah glory, said, This my beloved son, hear ye him. Peter said, That's it. Well, Michael is also associated with the people of Israel during the last days or trouble on earth. Look at Daniel 12.1. We find Michael again. Daniel 12.1. At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time, and at that time thy people shall be delivered. What people? Everyone that shall be found written in the book. I guess people can't see election in that either. I can. If your name's not in that book of life, you won't be delivered, whether it's Jewish or not. All the Jewish names have to be there just like yours and mine. Those are the ones that Christ died for, the ones whose names are written in his book of life, the ones that God the Father gave him back in eternity before the world was ever created. Those are the ones that come to Christ. Those are the ones that shall be delivered. It's also called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's in Jeremiah 37. Jeremiah 37, 30 and verse 7. Chapter 30. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Now, our Lord cleared that one up in Matthew 24. Verses 21 and 22. Let's look at Matthew 24. We just had it several weeks ago in our Sunday night studies. Matthew 24. 21 and 22. For then shall be great tribulation, 
such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. That's one of the mysteries in here. I don't know how they're going to shorten it. Is the Lord going to make this earth to rotate just a little bit faster, shorten the day? I don't know. But I do know that we have not experienced anything like he's talking about. So it's coming. And people that deny that there's going to be a time of tribulation upon earth are foolish. Our Lord Jesus Christ taught it. He said, there shall be great tribulation since it was not since the beginning of the world. Now listen, we had a flood. We had the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We've had a lot of other things too. A time that was worse than a flood. A time worse than World War II. How about World War I? That was terrible. But that's not it. It just hasn't happened as yet. And our Lord said it will. You can take that to the bank. It will draw interest. There's a tribulation time coming upon the whole earth. And the, the preliminary to that was the ten plagues on Egypt. Now, if that hadn't have happened, and the Lord said there's going to be some great tragedies happen to the nation of Egypt. It's going to happen ten times. People say, oh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, just like anything else in the Bible. But that did happen. And that was a terrible disaster. Our Lord said, hey, it's, it's nothing compared to what's going to take place on this earth. A time of great tribulation. Now, whatever the Lord has in mind by the trumpet or the last trump, the shout and the voice of the archangel, all professors will be aroused. I can't put my finger on all that. I don't know. But the Bible says there's going to be a trump. We were talking about it last week. Could it be when the Jews are celebrating their Feast of Trumpets that that may be their last celebration? Maybe this is the year. Maybe next year. Who knows? But there will be a trumpet. Well, verse 7 says, And they all trimmed their lamps. All the lamps were low. There was little light from any of them. Now, true believers can get so involved with playing church, their faith so weak as to give them little joy and little light, yet their lamp does not go out. Little faith being true faith is grace. And that's given to a believer. When God gives that gift of grace to an individual, he never takes it back. I want you to look at Romans 11.29 for that proof. Romans 11.29. It says, For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. That means that God does not change his mind and doesn't go back on what he says, and what he promises. So they trim their lamps, cleaning up the lamp of profession. The wise virgins did this by repentance and faith and prayer. 
received a fresh supply of oil, raised the wick to draw more oil up, cleaned up the dust and ashes by going to the advocate, and having their sin of slothfulness forgiven, how can you do that? Well, 1 John 2, 1 and 2 tells us how we do that. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Verse 9, up above, uh, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and to put a little oil in our lamp. Maybe they shook their lamp a little bit too. Where's that in the Bible? Look at 2 Timothy 1.6. 2 Timothy 1.6. That says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, shake it up, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. So maybe they shook their lamp up a little bit. Now one thing to learn from this is to be prepared at all times for our Lord's coming. We know that he's coming. There's no reason to slumber and sleep and let the lamp of our profession barely glow. Paul gives advice. In Romans 13, verses 12 and 14, Romans 13, this is what Paul tells us, how we're to behave in these last days, in our days, and he was telling about their days too. Romans 13, verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, nor in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Now why is it, even though the believer is sleepy, he's safe? True believers are called sons of God and can't lose that relationship even to being an heir. Look at Romans 8, 16 and 17. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if, heir, if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. That's truly amazing. You'd have, to, you'd have to sit down and think about that a long time. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. A true believer is in a justified state, always in a state of union with Christ. That's Ephesians 5.30. Ephesians 5.30. It says... For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And of course, you all know Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ. Now, what makes a believer to be sleepy and to slumber? 
First of all, we live in a body of sin. Our senses are programmed to sin. Our eyes behold sin. Our ears hear sin. Our nose smells sin. Our hands touch sin. Our feet run to sin. These parts are controlled by a computer brain called the old man. That's Colossians 3.9. That happens to be in a deadly warfare with our new nature. Look at Galatians 5.17. Galatians 5.17. For the spirit, for the flesh, I mean, lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Now, no one but a believer knows the conflict. I know people outside of true religion think that it's either a sinner one way or you're a saint the other way. There's no, no such thing as a conflict. You get it all over with and done when you make your decision for Christ. From then on, you're a good kid. No. By experience, we know we wouldn't even need the word of God for that. But the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And who's the winner? spirit. He that is in you is greater than he is without. But it's a battle. It's a warfare. So much so that Paul over in Ephesians tells us, put on the whole armor of God. Oh, put the whole thing on. Because you're in a battle. You're in a spiritual battle. Paul and I were talking about the principalities and powers trying to destroy us, trying to harm us, trying to delay us. All around. You never know the imps and the armies of Satan that are plotting and planning to be stumbling blocks for us. We can't see it, thank goodness for that. Now this nature, this old man, you take to the grave. And the wonderful thing about death to the believer is that that old nature never returns. Our new bodies will be free of the Adamic nature and will not sin. But what is meant by the foolish virgins arising and trimming their lamps? Well, an awakened conscience will put wicked men and hypocrites upon doing something about reforming their lives. Verse 8 says, Give us of your oil, for our lamps have gone out. You see, foolish virgins or hypocrites may see their need of grace. And this sense of want arises from the horror of their heart. They have a sense of their woeful condition, not from the sense of the evil of sin, but of the misery that they feel is near. Hypocrites may desire grace as a bridge to carry them to heaven, but it is not that they may glorify Christ, not from love to God, but of love to themselves. They knew they needed oil in their lamps, but they did not want it in their vessels. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4. 1 Thessalonians 3 and 4. Fourth chapter, verses 3 and 4. 
For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Well, they didn't want any oil in their vessels. They wanted it for fornication. You see, oil in the lamp commends us to men. But oil in the vessel commends us to God. There comes a day when it is too late. Like Esau, when it came time for the blessing, saw that he had given it away, and there was no getting it back, not even with tears. That's Hebrews 12, 16 and 17. Let me read it to you. Hebrews 12, 16 and 17. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat so is birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. I like that. Because when you look it up and you find out who he was crying to, he wasn't crying unto the Lord, he's crying unto his daddy. He shed his tears in front of daddy, not in front of the Lord. So you can go back in Genesis 27, verse 38, and see that. Why is it that the foolish virgins didn't see their want and condition sooner? Self-love is a great deceiver. They kept themselves deceived by holding on to a false profession. Some people do that all their life. No greater illustration of this could be given than that of our Lord that he gives us in Matthew 7:22, and this is our last scripture for the night. Matthew 7:22 and 23. Now it's too late. These were wonderfully looking Christians. Did marvelous things. And something didn't, didn't work. What was it? Verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. What was the iniquity they did? They prophesied in his name, they cast out demons, and they done many wonderful works. Well, what's the problem? They didn't take time out to get to know Christ. They came in by another door. They came in by a false religion, false profession, and they kept it, and they held it, and they looked better than anybody else. Their lamp shone just wonderfully well, kept it clean, no oil. You can put other things in lamps and make them burn a little bit. That's, that's a, a very, very scrutinizing scripture right there. All the great things. They did more great things than I'll ever do in my life. I'll never cast out a demon. I'll, I'm not a prophesier. I certainly haven't done many wonderful works. But I tell you what, the Lord knows me. I met him one day at his feet. I met him as a lost sinner begging for mercy, and he revealed himself to my heart. 
I thought that day would never come. I thought certainly there was no mercy left for a sinner like I am. And it was days and weeks and months and years that passed by, and the Lord still gave me a cry. I always, deep down in, had the feeling that God was going to save me if it took me to my last breath. If I was dying and had one breath left, I would say, Lord, have mercy upon me. But in his time, he saves a sinner. You cry, and he will answer. Let's bow our heads. Father, I want to thank you tonight for the opportunity of preaching, teaching, and for this wonderful people we have here to talk to, whether it be three, four, six, or two hundred, or six hundred. If we can talk about our Lord Jesus Christ, it delights our soul. And we pray thy will be done in their hearts and lives, and again for protection on the highway for all of our people. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.